All right, I want to encourage you, grab a, a Bible this morning. Grab a Bible, and uh, we are in week, what, Todd? Week 26, I think, of a 60-some week series through the book of Acts. Uh, last week, we, we looked at this section in here where um, we looked at the church of Antioch where it was this, this model church where it was multicultural, multi-ethnic. It was, the grace of God was with these people. When Barnabas came, it was evident to him that God's hand was with these people. He was doing a mighty thing in this church. And this church, which was, uh, by the Jewish standards, a total pagan center, this was the hub of the Christian missionary explosion. So God used this, this church in a mighty way. Last week, we read through that there was a, a leader. His name is Barnabas. And I said that we were going to come back and look at this, this man and do a little bit of a character study. And I think it's important that we look at this man because uh, even though it's a short two verses in here, there's something extraordinarily normal about this man who is a Christian. That is to be extraordinarily normal for us as well. So we're, it's, it's just going to be two verses, and uh, it's nothing. Um, you're going to go, man, you are going to preach 45 minutes because of this. And the answer is yes, because I am Paul. And so verse, uh, starting at verse 23 of chapter 11. When he came, and he being Barnabas, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So the title of the sermon this morning is um, How to Become a Good Person. How to Become a Good Person. Now, for some of you, immediately you go, oh, good person. That is a, a word, an adjective that is probably overused in our time, right? This person, he, he's a good person. He's a good man. He's a good guy. Uh, and you start going, okay, even the word good has been dumbed down and stripped of all meaning and all purpose. What does it mean he's a good person? Some of you know good persons. Or maybe you've even heard, like I, I heard on the, the, uh, the news one time, not too long ago, this mother who is just describing her son who had just robbed a bank and killed two people in the process and how did she describe her son? Oh, he's a good boy. Okay, your good boy, good boy, has just robbed a bank and killed people. So even in our culture, we got this, this idea of good. He's a good boy. Even if you would, uh, you know, even in our culture, you know, what does it mean to be a good person? If you get enough badges, being a Boy Scout or 
being involved in this organization, that is what makes you a good person. If you're involved in Kwanas, or if you're involved in a chamber, or the Lions, or maybe you're Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, and you do enough good things, that sets you up to be a good person. But we know Paul has already, already said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. There's nothing good about us. Even our best works are considered before God rubbish. So when Scripture says that Barnabas was a good man, I think we need to take a look at what does this mean. And we've got to understand that we are talking about not a perfect man. Because there are none of us in this room, starting with me, out to you, none of us are perfect. We are all in need of grace. We are all in need of the Savior. We're all in need of the blood of the Lamb. We need these things. But what does it mean to be a good person? If Barnabas has been described as a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, what does it mean to be that kind of person? Because apparently it is important. Luke pointed it out that he was a good person. So what does it mean to be a good person in the sense of scriptural description as versus the world who says, ah, he or she is a good person. So we're going to be looking at this. The thing that I think as we're studying Barnabas' life, we're going to really see what, what is it a good person really supposed to look like. And we're going to see in light of what Jesus and the prophets of old have said. A good person is someone who does two things. Loves the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And the second is like it. That's you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two things, everything hangs. So we're going to be looking at this. And our theme for this morning, if you're a note taker, to be a good person must love God and others through a walk of faith and being in the Holy Spirit. So, first, to be a good person, you must love God and love others. Our first thing, the whole Bible is summed up in these two commandments, just summed up in these two things. If you could whittle it all down and get down to it, we are called to love God and love others. There's no command in the Bible, if you look carefully, no matter what Dr. Phil says, no matter what Oprah says, no matter what your favorite show says, no matter what your favorite book in Barnes & Noble says, there is nowhere in the Bible that you are commanded to love yourself. Now that kind of grates some of you wrong, because you know, for me to love others, I've got to love myself. But rather, the Bible does what? It assumes that we, are, we all love ourselves quite well. We, we've got the spiritual gift, or maybe it's our human gift to love ourselves well. It's just our natural inclination just to love me and protect me and care for me, right? But if we look, just look at how to love others as much as we do love ourselves, we will see that we would fulfill God's holy law. And a study of Barnabas' life will just show that while we are far from perfect, the bent in his life, his natural inclination is to love God and to love others. First, so we're called to 
love God and love others. A good person loves God. Barnabas was a tremendously religious man. By birth, he was a Levite. We see that earlier in Acts, that he was a Levite. He was obligated to serve the Jewish people in the temple. But his religion did not, because of that, reconcile himself to God. There's probably something in his life that every day that he went in and out of his temple service, he was going, man, I am doing these religious activities, but something is missing in my life. The sacrifice of lambs, the the doing of this, and the constant going before God and serving God's people, there's something that is still lacking. Some point, maybe it was the, the day of Pentecost, Barnabas recognized that he was a sinner and that Jesus was the anointed one, the Savior that God came to bear our sins. So somewhere in history, before this point, Barnabas put his trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he was born again. We cannot even begin to love God until we are reconciled with God, until we are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we must begin realizing that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And any love that we show towards God is in response to his great love towards us let me say it again any love we show towards God is in response to his great love towards us that's manifested in our worship and I think Missio Day Church we are growing in our musical worship as we're singing I love it when we're, we've been coming together we are singing loudly and passionately. Hopefully it's not just because we got some amazing instrumentation or some great singers, but it's because God is stirring up something in us. And we are falling more deeply in love with our Savior. It's in recognition of what He's done to us, which propels, which fuels our worship. Any love that we show towards God in response to His great love for us in sending his son to die for us is worship. But once we've received God's gift of eternal life in Christ, we show love to God in two ways. Heartfelt devotion and willing obedience. Heartfelt devotion and willing obedience. In Acts 13.2, we see Barnabas along with all the the church leaders that were in Antioch, ministering to the Lord and fasting. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Now, a quick read over that, you just go, he was ministering and doing some activities. But the work that we do is we often minister to each other, right? We encourage one another, we we come alongside one another, we teach one another, But here, it it caught my attention, he was ministering to the Lord. He was ministering to the Lord. And so, here, Luke is applying it to the leaders of the church who were serving in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the law. They're fasting. What they were doing, they were fasting, would seem to point to a special occasion where they were seeking God's direction as they were waiting upon him in prayerful devotion. Spending time in heartfelt 
devotion to God is one way that we show love to him. So how do you do this? How do we as a community of faith minister to the Lord? How do we spend lives that are just wholly devoted to him? I love hearing stories about couples who are now doing devotions together. And their marriage is becoming richer together. I love hearing and seeing men together study Colossians together and just eating that up. I love hearing and seeing individuals in our church who are just devouring God's word, spending more time in prayer. That is how we experience heartfelt devotion. It's being in the word together, devouring it together, worshiping together, singing together. But there's also something else that we, we see that stemming out of our devotion to God should be obedience to him it's not just this me and jesus kind of moment ah i'm loving this i'm just enjoying it oh it's a sweet time and me and w-o-n-u or k-love on the radio or my favorite new david crowder stripped down to just him kind of stuff this just me in the car singing loudly it's not just those kind of moments of heartfelt devotion but it is also a willing obedience. A willing, and I, maybe I should also add, willing and immediate obedience. We see uh, in John 14, verse 15, Jesus saying this, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. Out of our love for God the Father, out of our love for Jesus Christ, out of the love of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if we want to truly express our heartfelt devotion, we will keep his commandments. We see this instant and almost unquestioning obedience in Barnabas. When the apostles in Jerusalem needed somebody to go to Antioch to make sure that things were all settled and going right, so that somebody could report back, they sent Barnabas. The text assumes that he went without any question. Then when the leaders of Antioch were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And these two men obeyed by going out on their first missionary trip. It was no small commitment at all. It's not uh, our kind of thing where we just hop in a car or hop in a plane with modern technology and just go. Today, Ministering is almost far easier. But in those days, the going into a hostile land by camel, by not automobile, it was a big thing. So all human goodness must begin with a Godward direction. A Godward direction. And we receive God's love through faith in Christ. And we return love by devotion and obedience any other motivation for our good deeds is ultimately self-serving and not God-glorifying. But a good person also loves others. It is not just this, like I said, it's not just this me and this God kind of moment. It is also a good person loves other people. This is the second of the greatest commandments. Biblical love is not just warm feeling towards someone. Rather, it is a self 
self-sacrificing commitment. A self-sacrificing commitment to seek the highest good of one that we love. The highest good for another person that he or she is reconciled, made right before God through Jesus Christ and to be growing in holiness and in conformity to Christ. Barnabas' love for people was evident. We can see it in that he accepts imperfect believers while encouraging them to keep growing up into the Lord. We saw last week, and I'll touch on it briefly, that Barnabas' nickname was what? Son of encouragement. He was a son of encouragement, and he was true to form when he saw these new believers in Antioch. He was true to form. It's like, oh, look at these people. Look what's going on. And although he was a Jewish priest, raised with his Jewish strictness and all the kosher laws, about being separate from Gentiles, Barnabas could see God's saving grace at work in these people. His saving grace was deeply at work. So rather than grumble about the Jews and Gentiles meeting together or being worried about kosher laws and, oh man, we got to get this right, we got to make sure you're circumcised, we got to make sure we, we eat at separate tables and maybe even separate homes, what did he do? He rejoiced and then encouraged them just to to be devout. Devout in your purpose. Barnabas had already shown his loving, even his loving acceptance of Saul when Saul returned to Jerusalem as a new believer. One of the first people to accept him was Barnabas. Christians were scared to death of this guy. He was just out-breathing these murderous threats against the church, imprisoning, dragging people out of their homes. And all of a sudden, he had this Damascus Road experience. And now he's coming back to Jerusalem. I'm a little wary. Is this his way of getting into the church and, and bringing us out? Hauling us out to prison? Barnabas, the son of encouragement, accepted imperfect believers and still continued by how? By accepting even Saul. Barnabas talked to Saul and became convinced of his testimony that it was real, it was genuine. I'm sure Saul had a lot of rough edges. A lot of rough edges. You even read how he writes. He is straightforward. I'm telling you the way it is. I'm sure in his speech in his day-to-day life And you probably know people like this in your own life. They have no filter. Do you know people like that? (laughs) I know a few. And immediately, what does he do? In spite of those things, he warmly embraces him. And he accepts him. And encourages him. Biblical love sometimes must confront and must correct or else it's not real love. Biblical love must confront and it must correct, or it's not real. But the foundation for any correction must be love and acceptance based out of this amazing gift of encouragement. Another thing that we we can see, how we can see Barnabas' love is that a loving person desires to see people using their gifts to the glory of God 
even if it means being eclipsed by someone else. What do you see? Barnabas is working in the church. People are coming to the Lord daily. And it is just this growing church in Antioch where people are giving up their their total pagan ways. They're giving up temple prostitution. They're giving up their their shady business practices. They're giving up their, their Greek way of life and coming to Christ and understanding what it means to be whole in Him. And Barnabas is getting to the point of, oh my word, this is far bigger than me. And Barnabas loves people enough and loves what God is doing enough that what does he do? He goes off and he finds Saul. And he brings Saul in. Eventually, Saul eclipsed Barnabas in their work together. And you know what the reality is? Barnabas didn't mind. His focus was not making a name for himself, but rather on seeing God glorified and his work furthered through young men like Saul using his gifts. Barnabas had a bent towards grabbing hold of men who were rejected by others and bringing them into a place of usefulness in God's kingdom. And it's not only Saul. Barnabas also did this with John Mark. Saul didn't really care for John Mark too much. He, he wasn't quite, they weren't working quite well together. But Barnabas believed that John Mark had something to offer. And so the, after a dispute, what happened? They split ways. Barnabas and John Mark went off and did a missionary journey on their own. And Saul went off on his own. The beautiful thing is that I think that both parties were in the wrong. But God used both parties for his glory's sake. Later, Paul himself, though, requested that Mark be coming to him while he was in prison. He's useful for me in service, is what he said in in his final book in, in 2 Timothy 4. He's useful to me for service. Biblical love delights to see other people serving the Lord with their gifts. Also, a loving person is generous with his time and money to meet the needs of the suffering. We first meet Barnabas and in uh, Acts chapter 4. And what is he doing? He is selling his property, property and laying the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. Selling property. If anybody has a spare piece of land in the Lincoln Way area that you are selling, we will gladly receive it. And he, he gladly laid it before the apostles' feet. You also see what, when, when there was a rumor, the prophecy that there was going to be a terrible famine taking place in Jerusalem, very quickly... Who was the one that was willing to be sent to bring the gifts to the church in Jerusalem? It was him. He used his, his willingness to, for his own finances to further God's kingdom. And that is a way of showing love to one another. Our willingness to love one another means that we willingly use our own finances reach out. Sometimes it means that we throw 
extravagant feast for people who are not yet part of the kingdom. And what is it? It's a foretaste of something far greater. When we throw parties as a church, I want us to throw great parties. Not because we want to make a name for ourselves, but because this is our way of loving people. We're using the resources that God gave us as great stewards. Don't get me wrong. As great stewards, we are using the resources God has given us to throw great parties to love people. One of our first examples, our trick-or-treat pit stop. It was a great party. Even Gloria's hands were covered in red goo for the glory of God. People were blown away that they could get free pictures. Who are these people? They even gave us king-sized candy bars. Not the cheap little ones, even though they got some of those as well. We want to love people well with our time and our resources. That's a way of showing love. The Bible is clear that love is much more than saying, I love you. Love means opening our hearts, our lives, our homes to those in need by sharing with them the abundance that God has given us. A closed home and a closed life is a sign that God has a lot of work to do in you. Our lives and our homes need to be open places. That doesn't mean you have to have clean homes. It could be a home that is still in the midst of remodeling. It could be a, a farm home that has mice running through it. It could be a home that you got your knickknacks and paddywhacks and all over the place. and It's unique. It's your home. But it needs to be an open home. As we share God's abundance with others. Wherever we are in our life. Small homes, large homes, medium-sized homes, brand new homes, old homes. We are to use our homes and our lives to love people. When we cling to our money and we work hard to even get more and more and more, we're being selfish. The more that we love God and others, the more that we will trust Him by giving further to His work. But we've got to also remember that the most needy people in this world are not the financially poor. They need it as well. The most needy people in the world are those who are perishing without Christ. And our homes should be grace-filled encouragement centers that point people to Jesus Christ. A loving person also devotes him or herself to reaching people, reaching the lost for Christ. God uses bar bar Barnabas in Antioch to reach considerable numbers of people. And then with Paul, he went out on his first missionary journey. And then they saw many more people come into God's kingdom. And even after that rift with Paul, Barnabas did not get mad and quit serving the Lord and just say, I'm done, enough is enough. Paul is such a jerk. And if this is the way the church is going to be, I don't want anything to be a part of it. I don't want any of that. 
I knew Christians were going to be like that. Instead, what did he do? He took Mark and continued on ministry, reaching out to the lost for the gospel, with the gospel. The most serious, loving thing that you can do, the most serious, loving thing that I can do for a lost person is tell them about Jesus Christ. If you fix an amazing meal, open your home to people, take them out for coffee, and never share about the grace of the Lord, you've missed an opportunity. Not all are called to work at it full time, but should always be in our thoughts as we have contact with lost people to share the love of Christ. Say, listen, this, this cup of coffee, it's delicious. It's a triple grande caramel macchiato, and it is amazing. But it is nothing. It pales in comparison to the best. Everything that we do should be pointing towards Jesus Christ. So, the second thing, the source of any human, second point is second, uh, is the source of any human goodness is to walk by faith in the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. This is source of his being a good man. We see the same connection in Galatians 5, 16, and 22. There Paul exhorts us, he encourages us to walk by the Spirit so that we don't carry out the desires of our flesh. Only the fruits of the Holy Spirit produce in the believer, or one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit produces within us is goodness produces goodness we walk by the spirit by faith the spirit or the walk is a step by step process in which you commit your weight to your legs and trust them to sustain you a walk by the spirit is a step by step dependence on the indwelling of god in our lives you rely on him in every situation for power to overcome temptation that stems from the world the, the flesh or the devil you yield control to him in your life rather than being self-willed. As you walk, that walk becomes a, just a daily habit. Walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are gradually formed more fully in your life. Your good deeds then are not something that you do for God, but rather something that God does through you. And that's a huge difference, and it's hard to kind of wrap your head around that it's not, man, these, I'm not being faithful to God, but God is being faithful through you. I'm not just loving God, but God is loving through me. As the Spirit is dwelling in us, the, it produces these amazing, this amazing fruit that becomes more full and more full and more full. And it's not just something for me, it is something for the world to enjoy. That they're seeing what God is doing in me as I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. Earlier in my Christian walk, one of the things that I was taught and I kind of got suckered into it for a little bit was that the filling of the Holy Spirit is an all or nothing kind of proposition. Either you are totally filled or you are not filled at all. 
And there are even some whole denominations that talk about you have got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you got to have this kind of tongues experience and then that just is proof that you are a believer in that moment. But there was this, I bought more into this whole idea that, man, I am just either totally filled with the Holy Spirit in one moment in my conversion experience, I'm totally filled or I'm just not. Of course, that leads to total what? Guilt, right? But now I think that to be filled with the Spirit is an ever-expanding process. And I love that. It is never finished in this life. That as the Holy Spirit is working in me, as I am becoming more more and more filled with a heartfelt devotion as I am becoming more and more willingly uh, and immediately obedient. My life is just expanding, being filled more and more and more. I yield all of myself, of which I'm aware of, to God. And each moment that I'm aware of sin in my life, I say, God, I, I give this area to you now. And there's more room for Holy Spirit expansion, if you will. And oh gosh, here's another area where I'm proud or I, I'm fearful of the judgment of man or I, I'm scared of what other people are going to think about me. Ah, God, I, I give that to you and I boldly move forward as the Spirit fills in that area. I, I'm having a hard time loving this kind of person or those people or that kind of Christian, God, I, I give that to you. And the fruit of the Spirit just as what? Expands and fills my life. As he controls more and more of my life, as he controls more and more of your life, his goodness shines through us more and more. I, I crave for people to say of us, they really are good people. I mean, not like Boy Scout good. Nothing wrong with Boy Scouts. Not like just Boy Scout good, but like, these people are the real thing. They are really good. They, they redefine good. They have a whole new definition that blows it out of Webster's Dictionary. They are truly good but it'd be nice to stop right here, right? And just uh, on, on a positive note, but, but we need to have a full picture of Barnabas. That he wasn't just full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. He wasn't just this great encourager. We need to like have a full picture, full-orbed picture of him. And I'm thankful that the Bible allows us to see the hero's of our faith with all their warts. Even good people, point three, good people who walk in dependence on the Spirit have weaknesses and failures. Even though Barnabas was the champion of God's grace in Antioch, as seen in the rejoicing of the salvation and the acceptance of the Gentiles, he later fell into sin in this very matter. If we read, we read in uh, Galatians 2, 
where Paul tells of what was happening once when Peter had come to Antioch. Peter came to kind of check to see how things were going. And before certain men from the circum before certain men from the circumcision party uh, in Jerusalem came to town, Peter ate with the Gentiles freely. He just enjoyed that, that community, the, the community of faith. He enjoyed what was going on. When they showed up, the circumcision party showed up, what did Peter do? When the legalists came, Peter just totally feared them. He feared their judgment, how they would look at him, and held himself aloof. And as a result, the rest of the Jewish Christians joined in him by not eating with the Gentiles. And it says here, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas. Since the error involved the very truth of the gospel, Paul publicly confronted Peter and those who followed his bad example. The phrase even Barnabas shows how out of character it was for this godly man. Even Barnabas. Luke is going, I, if, he, if he would have known this, how, how could you even begin to describe this? He is such a good man, encouraging the church. He wasn't legalistic. But even Barnabas, even Barnabas fell into this trap of legalism. It's usually our greatest strengths that are also our source of our greatest weaknesses. Our greatest strengths are often the source of our greatest weaknesses. Barnabas' acceptance of people in spite of their faults led him to this instance to accept their sin when it needed to be confronted. He compromised essential truth about the gospel because he didn't want to offend these men from the mother church. So even good men, good women, are not perfect men, are not perfect women. Yet God's cause will always triumph. It will always win. And he will be glorified by using, thank God, imperfect people. God will, his cause will ultimately triumph. Even through you. Even through me. Other than reading the Bible and studying the Bible, I found more help in my Christian walk through reading some biographies, Christian biographies of great Christians. If you ever read the stories of John Calvin, he was a messed up guy. He had a, a little bit of a temper. He was all about burning and killing those who did not agree with him. I would not recommend following John Calvin's lifestyle of handling conflict resolution. Reading stories of Martin Luther, who drunk himself sometimes into stupors in his uh, depression. You got stories of Jonathan Edwards or Spurgeon or William Carey or Hudson Taylor and many other saints who have gone before us. When you read their stories, you'll find out 
that you are in good company with other impoverished, screwed up, imperfect Christians. Thankfully, the Bible isn't just a book of doctrines or moral principles, but a book of biographies as well. Of stories of people's life, of how grace has so captured them and that they are in the process of becoming whole again. While we might wish to know more of the details about their, the characters in the Bible, we are given these stories that we can consider the result of their conduct. And we could even, as Hebrews 13 says, imitate their faith. We can imitate Barnabas with all of his messed up flaws. We can imitate their faith. Paul, we can imitate his faith. Moses, imitate his faith. And while we all have different gifts and personalities, we can all learn from the heroes of the Bible by applying the lessons of their lives to ourselves, and we will grow in holiness. So having considered Barnabas, I ask, can it be said of you, as it's said of Barnabas, that you are a good man or woman, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith? Is your love for God vital and just growing? Just vital where it's, man, it is just bubbling up. Just heartfelt devotion for ah, uh, and willing obedience. Is, is that true of your faith in Him? Is your love for people more tender and compassionate? Do you seek to help others grow in their faith? Who's the last person in this body or beyond these four walls and beyond this body that you have grabbed their arm and said, come walk with me. Come walk with me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Come on, come with me. When's the last time you gathered a, a small group on your own without the need for a blessing from the leadership? as a group of women, as a group of men, as a group of husbands and wives, as, as friends, as single people, as married couples, as whatever it is, let's grab each other and work together. Do you ask God to use you to reach lost people? Do you just pray prayers, God use me to reach lost people? But do you also act in the opportunity? when it presents itself, which is scarier than all get out. Oh, he has put it before me again. Maybe I should pray for another opportunity that looks a little bit nicer or neater or more convenient or where I can maybe discuss it in private as opposed to the line in Target. Lord, use us. And are you aware of your daily need to depend on the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit of goodness in your life. When you stumble, because you will, trust me, when you stumble, and you will, do you turn from your mess up and go on? 
grateful, Lord. That is how you become a good person. Again, I love Missio Day Church. I love my family, my church family. But as your friend and as your pastor, shepherd, these are areas that we need to grow in. That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, everything about me, everything about you, everything about us together, our individual and our collective everything. Are we loving the Lord our God with all of us? Everything that he has given us, are we loving him fully, completely, and growing in nature? Is it just this snowball that is rolling down the mountain, gathering momentum and gathering people as it goes? We are just loving him so much, so real, that it is just exploding. But are we also loving people? And I'm talking about the messy people. And the really people who supposedly have it all put together. The purdy people, you know. Are we loving them fully with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, and our strength? And are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? That's what I believe God is calling us to as a church. Completely holy, growing, ever-expanding. As the Spirit dwells within us, it is. Next week, I pray that it'll be even far richer for us. And the week after that, and a month later, a year later, it cannot even be contained. And you can't contain yourself. You are looking for opportunities to share this rich thing between me and God, and this rich thing be, that we have with one another. I can't wait, and I can't contain it, so I'm going to share it with other people. That is what God desires of his church. And locally, that's what God desires for Missio Day Church. To love him fully with all that we have. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen.